sir. If you, if you don't mind, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Hopefully this thing will be better this week. Matthew chapter 6. We start with verse 5, and uh, we're going to go through verse 15. We've been camping out here, so those of you who have been with us for the last few weeks, um, this will be a very familiar passage. Um, but we've been, we wanted to, to pause for a minute as we are looking at Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, His magnum opus. We wanted to pause for a minute and really dig into the Lord's Prayer. So let's, uh, let's read it one more time. We'll start, with verse, um, we'll start with verse 9 this morning, and we'll go through verse 15. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the Word of God. Amen. It was a hot, humid summer afternoon, and I was on the interstate. I was single, and so I was going a little faster than I normally do with the family. I had the tunes cranked up, and I was enjoying this ride back to my house from a mountain cabin, or more like a cabin in the woods, that I'd been staying at for a few days. It was a wonderful time. The lake was perfect. I got out and got to go swimming with my family. It was glorious. But all of that gloriousness ended as I was driving down what's known as Interstate 40. And as I was on Interstate 40, I, it's, it's one of those interstates that's got a, a sort of a median divide in the middle. That like a, you know what I'm talking about? Kind of a grassy dip that goes across. I mean, you, you have them even here. There's two lanes that go one direction and two lanes that go the other direction. So I'm in sort of the left lane of my two lanes going towards home. And I start to see the car in front of me begin to drift a little bit into the lane next to them, into the right lane. And so I was like, uh-oh, this, this is not going to be bad. But thankfully, uh, not only myself, I began to brake when I saw that car veering, but also some of the other cars in that same lane kind of saw what was happening as that car began to veer. You could tell the person was not paying attention. And so they started to slow down too, and it looked as though everything might settle back. Well, the person driving that car sort of woke up to the fact that they had begun drifting. And what happens when somebody sort of jolts themselves with the fact that they've been drifting. You ever seen this happen? They overcompensate. Overcorrect. This is what happens all the time to different cars on the interstate or just on roads even around town. They overcorrect. And so this girl, I found out later, she, actually one of the people in our church knew her. Um, this girl, this 17-year-old girl, overcorrects and goes straight into the median, ramps up the other side, head on into a car across the interstate. I mean, it was carnage. So I'm thinking, okay, I was, she was literally right in front of me. So I'm going, I saw this whole thing. I've got I've to do something. 
So I, you know, everything's stopping on the interstate, as you might imagine, and, and she pulls over. And I'm assuming, as I walk over there to the two cars that, are, that had gotten shoved all the way off of the road, I'm like, there's probably not going to be anyone alive. That was my guess, just by the sheer level of impact head-on on the interstate. But thankfully, praise the Lord, both of the drivers were alive, both by themselves, and they were both alive. But I'll still never forget uh, the girl, because she was still in her car. They couldn't quite get her out. Thankfully, a guy going the other direction on the interstate had stopped, and he had paramedic skills. So he was at least tending to her, and there were people near her. But when I walked over, all I remember is what she said. I don't remember, I mean, I, I kind of thankfully kind of wiped out what it looked like inside the car. But I, I just remember her being like, my legs, mommy, help me. And she just kept repeating that over and over and over again. My legs, mommy, help me. And it, it really, it, it stuck with me for a long time. It was a powerful moment for me. But I think it's true for all of us that life can crash around us. And there are moments, you may not be in that moment this morning, but there are moments where we feel like the only thing we can do is, my life, daddy, help me. There are those moments, a job that we lose, a child that is sick, a parent that passes away. We all, we all carry with us the pain, the suffering, the difficulty, the crashing of life around us. And that's exactly what Jesus is bringing us into this morning in the Lord's Prayer. We're to the part, this is the part where we actually begin to ask for things. Where we actually begin to say, God, help. I need you. For the last couple of weeks, we've looked at things like, hallowed be your name which basically means, Lord, be my treasure above all else. We've looked at your kingdom come. Lord, bring to this earth your reign, your rule as the king above all. We've looked at you know, um, different parts of what it means to hallow the Lord's name. And most importantly, we started out this whole look at the Lord's Prayer with our Father. That's the starting point for it all the relational starting point for prayer. Because that's what prayer is, right? Prayer is us bringing our desires unto God, our Father. And so today, let's look, let's dig into what does it mean to ask from God? What does it mean to ask for His help in the crashes, in the messes of life? So first, let's start with this idea. Let's, well, let's start with the phrase, and we'll just read it one more time. Give us this day, our daily bread. On the surface, doesn't seem very complicated, does it? I mean, how many of you have ever been one day hungry in your life? Okay, so you have. Oh, sorry, sorry, no, 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 no. Just like, 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 sorry, I should rephrase that. How many of you have ever wondered where your next meal was going to come from? That's maybe a bad way to put it. Yeah, sorry, I stated that wrong. I've been hungry a lot in my life. Yeah. Your next meal is going to be, probably not many of us, that would be my guess, not many of us have, have had that experience. Um, even though there's a lot of people who do go through that experience, we know even here in Charlottesville. 
Um, but the, the reality is that God is telling, Jesus is telling us, the Lord provides for your needs. The Lord provides for needs. Now, this is the most natural of prayers for us all. It's sometimes, it doesn't feel necessarily natural for us to be like, we don't all the time walk around being like, hallowed be your name. Although we do. We adore him sometimes. But it feels very natural to be like, Lord, help me. <laughs> help me with this test. Help me with this, uh, my car broke down. Help me figure things out. Help me with my kids. Help me with my homework. Help my wife. Help my son. Help my brother. Whatever. We, we, we're very used to this idea. But at the same time, we also sometimes get confused. Because God doesn't always answer every single thing that we ask for, does He? So we have to understand what is the, what is the nature of asking for God to give us things in prayer. What is the nature? And the nature of it begins, just like we started with the Lord's Prayer, it begins with Him as our Father, which means what about us? We're His children. Now, let's use an example from my own life, because I have children of my own. I love to give my kids good things. Love it. I want my kids' happiness. I, like, in an extreme way. Sometimes it's bad. Like, I want their happiness above the happiness of other people, or other children. That's not good, right? <laughs> we would we'd agree that's not good. But, but that's, my, that's my heart as a father. I want to give them good things. And the Bible says about Jesus, just a couple chapters later in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, if you as an earthly father or an earthly mother, if you want to, if your kid asks for a piece of bread, do you give him a snake? Of course not, right? If your kid asks for an egg, do you give him a rock? Of course not. And Jesus goes on to say, he says, if you being evil, know how to give your children good gifts. How much more does the Father in heaven love to give his children good gifts? So we have to understand, as we start into asking God for things in prayer, we have to understand the heart of the Father. It's the imago dei in all of us as mothers and fathers. God wants to give you good things. He does. I know some days <laughs> it doesn't feel that way. But he, his heart, his heart towards you is to lavish his love and his gifts upon you. The Bible talks about that over and over. His steadfast love is on his children. But we have to qualify just a little bit with that prayer. And this, the best way for us to qualify why we don't necessarily get everything we ask for in prayer is by understanding my relationship with my own children or your relationship with your children or your relationship with your parents. Okay, so Hunter and, well, all three of our kids, and I'm, 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 I'm sorry I'm picking on you a little bit this morning, Hunter, but this is true for all three of our kids. They love screens. Screens are not a bad thing. Right? Ultimately. Screens are not a bad thing. They love, though, that you can play on a screen. So you've got an iPad, you've got you know, a Nintendo DS or something along those lines, and they love to, to be in front of that screen. They love to play. I, as their father, want them to play. Right? I mean, like, it's good for a kid to play, correct? Right. So, 
why then would I limit the time my kids play on those screens? Why would I do that? Damaging. Yeah. Why is it damaging? Well, it's physically damaging. They're shown with eyesight, but it's also emotional, psychologically damaging. Yeah. It's not, because here's the deal. Though that child asks me, Hunter does, and wants to be on that screen almost all day long, I know better. I know better. I say you have to go outside. You've got to play with your friends. You can't isolate yourself in front of this screen all day long. There's, I know, as your father, what play is in its best form. And this isn't always its best form. There's a recognition when we pray to our Father, when we say, Lord, help me. There's a recognition that we simply cannot and do not know all of the circumstances surrounding our particular ask. But we can still know that ultimately, ultimately, our Father is for us. And He wants to give us things. But there's a a humility that has to be a part of our prayer to the Father. We have to understand that He is going to give us things that are good for us, even when we might not think those are the best things. And it's hard for us sometimes. It's hard for me. Right? There's just things I want now from God. There's things that I want to change in my life. There's, there's, there's circumstances that I don't like. That I'm like, Lord, just fix it. For some reason, he says, Nathan, no, not now. Not now. And one, one little um, caveat about this is that think about unanswered prayer for a minute, even in your own life. Think about unanswered prayer. You ever had an unanswered prayer before? I would imagine we, we, we've all had one before. The best way to understand unanswered prayer is to think of it as um, what is at the center of your life? Because that's what it answers. That's what, that's what unanswered prayer answers. What is at the center of your life? Is it God himself or is it something else? Because generally speaking, and, and I can't say this is 100% true across the board every time, but generally speaking, when we have put ourselves or some idol in our life at the center of our world, our prayers will revolve around whatever that idol is. And the Lord knows He can't answer all of those. He can't give you, He can't feed your idol. If your idol is success, if God's not at the center and it's success at the center, you're going to pray for things like, Lord, help me to do well at this next job or this next interview or this next test. That's what you're going to be concerned with. And it's going to be confusing when occasionally, not always, but when occasionally God doesn't answer that prayer. And he says, it's actually best for you right now because I have been decentered from your life. It's best for you not to get the answer to that prayer. Now again, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying this is true every time. I'm just saying often an unanswered prayer is a revelation of what is at the center of our life. I'll close out this first part with this. Parents have a heart to give their kids good things. I have a heart to give my kids good things. But often, what happens is, I know what is best. And so I bring a resurrection out of it. And that's, that's, that's the concept 
of what was happening in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus is praying to his Father, he's saying, Father, if you can take this cup from me, please do it. And in Hebrews it says, the Lord, the Father, heard him. He heard him. I mean, he listened. It wasn't, sometimes we think of it as like, oh, but Jesus went ahead and went to the cross. Jesus said, Father, take this cup from me. I don't want to go to the cross. You know, if there's another way, but not your will, but not my will, but yours be done. We think God was saying, nope, not going to answer that. That's just not true. God says, I'm going to answer this, but I'm going to answer it in a way that brings resurrection. It's going to be different. It's going to be redemptive. And that's what I'm doing. When I, when I say to my kids, no, I need to divert you from what you think you want. You think you want this, but I know. I know your heart. I know more than you. I know what's good in life. Mostly. <laughs> and let me divert you. Hunter, you say you're hungry and you want to eat this donut. And I say, no, you cannot have the donut, but you can have the potato. You can have the vegetable. Because in my heart, I want to fulfill your desire. Your hunger, I want to fulfill that desire. I want good things for you, but I know the donut is not going to do it. I know what is best. And so that is when we come to God with requests. The key is to come with Him at the center. And to come not childish. Hear me out. We don't come in a childish way to God like... Beg, 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 give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. We come childlike. And childlikeness is actually maturity. It's saying, Father, I don't actually know what is best. But I trust that you, because you love me, are going to give me what is best when I ask. And so we just keep coming. That, that, doesn't, mean don't, that, means don't, that doesn't mean don't ask for it. It means keep coming at him. The Father loves you, but He is going to always give you what is best. Okay, next. Jesus teaches us, so Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily bread. Jesus teaches us to ask for that which we need, that which we lack. But He also teaches us, forgive us, He says, Jesus says, pray this way, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's so simple, but let's not let it just kind of fade on. I know this is a simple phrase. If you've, if, especially if you've been in the church or you've been a Christian for longer than a few weeks, this, this phrase can easily get sort of lost as you pray it. But forgive us our debts as we forgive ours. You know, like, oh, yeah, 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 I got some sin and I got I to gotta get forgiveness for it. But really, this is, this is confession. And confession is not, this is the, this is, I'll just make one point on this. Confession, real confession, is not sin management. It's not the idea that, that I'm, Lord, I know I yelled at my kids, but I had a really hard week. Forgive me my sins. Lord, I know that I should not have gone in that store, but I couldn't help myself. Lord, I know that I shouldn't hang out with that person, but it's just so hard. And so, we, so we, come, we come each week, or we come each day, and we're just like, it, it's, we don't even put really thought into it. It's just like, eh, no, I'm doing wrong, but forgive me, Lord. Real confession is risking it all on grace. It's coming to God and saying, it's, it's, it's not saying, Lord, I promise I'm going to try harder next time. 
can you just forgive me this one? I've done this. I do this. I do this. Lord, can you just forgive me this one time so that I can get through it? And then I promise that I'll, I'll, I'll try harder next time. Okay, that's, that's not risking it on grace. That's not saying, Father, here is all I am. All I have I owe to you. The sin in my life stinks. Please forgive me. Take it away by your love and by your grace that you've promised to me through Jesus Christ. Those are truly two different things. God actually looks at the heart. So, what we want to remember when we're we're focusing on asking for forgiveness for our sins, when Jesus is teaching us to ask forgiveness, we have to remember that we are not in the business of just brushing aside our sin. We're in the business of remembering the cost that God paid to wipe away our debt. That leaves the focus squarely on God and not on us. Because again, confession, it's really easy for confession to be self-pity. Just like, oh, woe is me, I'm just, you know, I'm so bad. But no, there's a cost. The cost was the death of Christ. And the cost was for you. And the cost is always great. And so we come focusing on God, focusing on His grace, and risking it. Risking confessing before Him. It's, it's health for your soul. It really is. Your soul needs regular confession before God. Regular forgiveness from God. Okay, so let's end with... So that was... Um, we, come, we come... In our prayer, we come saying... Father, forgive us for our debts as we forgive our debtors because the only way we can forgive someone else is when we understand we have been forgiven. And then lastly, this, the, last, the last one's a little, I think a little tougher to understand. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I pray that, like, like the other parts of the prayer, I pray it regularly, right? I mean, we, we do the Lord's Prayer, we sing the Lord's Prayer sometimes, but sometimes I, I'm not always sure what it means. I don't know if you're in the same boat. But it, what does it mean, lead us not into temptation? James, the book of James, chapter 1, says this, For God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So I learned from James, he himself, that is God, tempts no one. So think about this with me for a second, logically. Why would I pray for God to not lead me in temptation? He's promised to never tempt me. So what, what, what is Jesus actually teaching us? Have you ever thought about that? It, it, it struck me this week. Like, God doesn't tempt us. He doesn't put things in front of you, sinful things, or something that's going to entice your desires in front of you and be like, (laughs) let's see what he does with this one. Let's see what she does with this one. He doesn't do that. So then why would we pray, Lord, don't don't do that to us? It's all in the word for temptation, the Greek word. It's actually testing. So it it can mean temptation, but it's all about testing. And what it's saying is, Lord, bring me through temptation testing. That's what we're praying for. Lord, bring me through testing. And what does the Bible mean by testing? Suffering. 
That's the Bible's, that, 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 that is the way the Bible refines the human heart. The way God works in a person's life is the refining process of testing. Suffering. None of us want it. I mean, I trust me. I do not want to suffer. I don't want hardship in my life. I don't want crashes like we talked about early on in the sermon. Those, those, I pray the Lord would keep those fully from me. But Jesus is saying they're going to come. You're going to have this happen. You're going to have testing. Testing is going to come daily, if not weekly, if not monthly, into your life. What, and he's saying, strengthen us, Lord, for those testings. Because there are, generally speaking, at least two paths from every testing. Let's, say, let's give it some examples just so we kind of wrap our heads around it. Let's say you lose a job. Let's say you unfairly treated by your employer and you got fired by your boss. Hard stuff. Really, some of you may have been through this. I don't know. We can think of a couple of other examples. You have two, really, you have two choices coming out of that suffering. You can lash back. And you're going to want to, right? Your heart, your heart is going to want to scream and yell and, and uh, try to ruin the reputation of that person who just fired you. Take down the company. We all have that desire. And then God says, God says there's also the possibility, the option, the life-giving option of saying, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust it is for my good. Those are two dramatically different things. Think about any suffering in your life. Think about sickness. Think about cancer. There's always sort of two, two reactions you can have to any kind of hardship that is brought into your life. It can embitter you. It can cause you to actually turn against God. It can cause you to, to be uh, sorrowful and hateful towards the one who is in control. Or it can remake you and remold you and show you the true path of life. And that's what Jesus is teaching us here. He's saying, he's saying, Father, help us. Suffering is real. Suffering is constant. Suffering is painful. Help us, Lord. I'll close with this. When God helps us, our strength comes not from our grit. Our strength for, when, when suffering comes, it's not, let me buck up. Let me, let, me, let me dig down deep in here and just find the power within me to make the right reaction instead of yelling at my boss or my kids or at the nasty cancer that's now invaded my body. Our power comes from Christ alone. The one who suffered for us the one who suffered with us, the one who went through it all because he was bringing redemption to us. The power is from the fact that we share in the sufferings of Christ. Our salvation is all about union with Christ, and so we share in his sufferings, but we also share in his death and his resurrection. It is through him that we have not only life, but power. The most incredible demonstration I saw of that power was with a student I worked with when I was in Charlotte, North Carolina. His name was Zach Ramsey. Zach was 14 when, or 13 when he first got cancer. 
He had prostate cancer, which is very, very rare for a kid that age. And I, I showed up as the youth minister at a church there in Charlotte. I was in seminary at the time. And I was sort of in the middle of his, he was cancer-free. And it was this beautiful period of like me getting to know him, sort of the way that he was rebuilding his life after this amount of suffering. And then, and, and he he'd never really gone to church before. His parents never really gone to church, but obviously the cancer had really woken them up. Um, you know, as C.S. Lewis says, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And so I got to walk with him through this interim phase, and then of course, and not of course, but you know, four months, five months later, he goes in for a scan and the cancer's back. And it's back more aggressively. And so I got to watch as this kid, his body fell apart and his spirit came alive at the same time. It was literally total opposite. I watched as the power of Christ, he even had a, he got a tattoo on his side that had, it said born again and had a cross on his side. This kid had never darkened the door of a church before. Uh, we, we had gotten together uh, during his sort of uh, healthy phase in between. But, but I watched him as, it was two days before he passed away. I think he was 15 and a half when he passed away. Two days before, he had all of his friends, he had this huge group of friends over to his house, and he cooked them a pancake breakfast. And he said, I just want to thank you all for what you've given me and for what you mean in my life. I watched the power of the resurrection, even in the midst of a body that was falling apart. It was a powerful testimony to me. It was a powerful testimony to that entire church to watch God work and use this kid uh, to, to really impact some, especially his friends. They didn't even know how to react to that kind of love and that kind of service and that kind of giving even at the very end of his life. But that is the power of the gospel. It's the power of the gospel. That even in the suffering, the crashes of life, God is always, always making new. He is always making new. He is the God of resurrection. And it's the God who, in just a minute, we're going to be reminded of his death and his resurrection. That not only did he die to to get rid of our sins, to, to kill sin, and to defeat the evil one, but also he was resurrected in life so that we might know and be reminded that we also will have life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your, this prayer that Jesus is teaching us. Lord, I don't know about anybody else in this room this morning, but I do not pray enough. I do not, I do not bring the fullness of my request to you, Lord. So I pray that you would open all of our hearts to come to you in prayer, Lord. You are a Father who wants nothing but good for us. Remind us of that truth this morning, Lord. May your love overwhelm us. May you bring the gifts that we so want into our lives, Lord. And Lord, I pray also that you would forgive us this morning for our sins, Lord. And I pray, Lord God, I know there are men and women in here who are going currently going through suffering, Lord. I pray that you, by the power of your cross, would carry them through. That they would know the power of your hands holding them in the midst of that. 
that you would be shown strong in their life, just like the life of Paul, Lord. I pray that they would find your power manifested in their weakness. Lord, manifest your power in our weakness. May your gospel be real in our life, even today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.